the first broadcast of 2019 in regard to looking at biblical passages for the following Sunday, because today is Monday, January the 7th, in the year of our Lord, 2019. We, we did have a broadcast last Friday, the first one in 2019, talking about the him about the 12 days of Christmas and what their meaning was on the part of some people. But today we're going to be taking a look for January the 13th, which is the baptism of our Lord. And the item that I want to look at in regard to that is the meaning of baptism from Romans chapter 6. It is Romans 6, 1 to 11 is the epistle reading for that particular Sunday. And it kind of begins with a question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, actually, I was asked that question at one of the churches I was preaching at yesterday by an individual He said, now that I've been forgiven, can I go ahead and sin all I want? Now, he said it jokingly, and I knew that. But I hadn't realized that the epistle for this coming Sunday is precisely that. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, what shall we say then is the beginning. So you got to look back at chapter 5 in order to figure out why Paul would say, what shall we say then? It's kind of chapter 5. We'll begin with verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass, that's the sin of Adam and Eve, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, that's Christ's death on the cross, leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you get the point? The The law is really very salutary. We began a study of the Heidelberg Disputation in two congregations yesterday in the Bible study. And Martin Luther's first statement from 1518, the law is very salutary, but... It can hinder you from being saved. Well, that doesn't make any sense. That's like saying hammers are very salutary, but they can result in great damage. Well, that's true if you misuse the hammer. And that was the point that Luther was making. The law is really salutary. It has three uses that God gives to it. One for the government, that's curbing violence. One to the church, that's as a mirror showing people they are sinners. And the third one is kind of a guide 
to help people who are already Christian to know what is the will of God. But if you ever use the law to get yourself to heaven, to merit forgiveness, no, that's a wrong use of the law. As verse 20 says, the law came in to increase the trespass. Now, what does that mean? Well, think about children. You have rules in the household. Guess what? The more rules that you have, the more their rebellion increases to break those rules. Like, you've got to go to bed at 8 o'clock in order to be awake during school. Uh, when I was a kid, the radio had a lot of stories on it, like the Lone Ranger and this kind of thing. So what I had done is I had bought a radio with an earphone, put it under my pillow at night, and I could listen pretty late to the Lone Ranger and other kinds of stories on the radio. Now, the rule was I was to go to sleep, and I wasn't tired. So that's how the law actually increases the trespass. And when you're dealing with unbelievers, you need to show them the law, teach them the law in such a way that they begin to understand that they are poor, sinful beings, really deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. That's the purpose of the law. Because guess what happens after that? Grace abounds all the more. In other words, the more you realize how sinful you are, the more becomes your need for a Savior and his grace that forgives your sins. So having said that, Paul then says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? See, that seems to make sense. If the more I sin, the more grace abounds, well, shouldn't I be sinning a lot more? But that's not what the text really says. It's not the more that you sin that grace abounds, but the more that you realize you are a sinner, that grace abounds. It's kind of like going to the doctor and you have a sniffle. And he says, well, uh, just take this pill, and maybe it's a cold pill. Take it for about three days and it will be gone. So it's very little medicine because it's a sniffle. But if the sniffle, the doctor figures out, is really the result of a more serious disease, you might even need surgery. In other words, the greater the illness, the greater the treatment. That's what Paul is saying here. The greater you recognize how sinful you are, the more you recognize how great must be the grace of God and that is found in the life and death of Jesus Christ. So after he says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. When did I die to sin? Well, actually, repentance is the death of the old Adam the death of my ego, 
when I repent of sins, I am humbled to indicate that what I have done by thought, word, or deed is not worthy of Jesus Christ. And therefore, by repentance, I'm putting to death my ego. Paul puts it this way. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? What does that mean? Well, you see, Jesus Christ died on the cross. He rose from the dead. How does that have any effect on my life? Well, the one way that God effects it is through the Pentecost baptism, where we are washed with water into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, in baptism, we receive the benefits of the death of Jesus Christ. It is as though we ourselves are hanging on the cross, when in reality, our sins were on the cross. He had took them on his shoulders, carried them to the cross, and paid for them there. We therefore not only died on the cross, listen to verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. So now we receive both the crucifixion benefits and the burial benefits. What's missing? The resurrection. Well, let's keep on reading. After it says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What's this newness of life? What is this talking about? It's talking about the fact that when Adam and Eve fell into sin, they died. They died spiritually. What happens when, through faith in Jesus Christ, you believe the promises of the gospel, you receive a new life, an eternal life, that begins Not when you die and go to heaven, but begins at your baptism. Or for some people, when they come to faith through hearing the word of God, uh, Romans chapter 10. In other words, the way that God moves us into the cross, into the grave, and out of the empty tomb is by baptism. That's how important baptism is. Baptism is considered by some denominations like we consider confirmation, an opportunity to give a public witness to the faith already in you. But according to the scripture, baptism is much more than that. That's why we call it a sacrament. That was Jerome's translation into the Latin from the Greek mysterion, mystery of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. This mystery is how God 
takes the benefits from the cross, the grave, and the resurrection and applies them to us. That's why it's a holy thing, the sacrament of God. Going on with verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now that resurrection, yes, there is one that occurs on the day of judgment. When, whether we're buried in the ground or still living, we get those new bodies and we're resurrected from the dead and live in heaven forever and ever. However, that resurrection actually begins here on earth. You see, there's three kingdom of heavens that God speaks about. There's the one, of course, after Judgment Day. Then there's the interim from the point of view when we die until Judgment Day. But then we're also in the kingdom of heaven here on earth. We call it the Holy Christian Church. In fact, the term for church, ecclesia, is Greek for called out of. So we're called out of the world of sin and we're transferred into the world of forgiveness, the world word of life. That's when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not referring to after judgment day. He's referring to the point where you become converted, when you are justified. And that happened to me in my baptism when I was an infant. So in baptism, we're not only united with Christ on the cross, it also means we'll be united with cross with Christ in the resurrection like his. Uh, verse 6 continues with what I've been talking about, how in repentance our old man is crucified. It's put to death, our pride. Paul puts it this way in verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now, how did that happen? For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, that death occurred when Jesus died on the cross because he died as our substitute. And we get on that cross through the waters of baptism. And so, therefore, our old self, our old Adam was crucified and brought to nothing so that we're no longer enslaved to sin. Now, when somebody is a slave or somebody is in prison, it's usually due to a condition. Either you're a sinner or you committed a crime. But in baptism, you are freed from that slavery, from that imprisonment because of the forgiveness of sins. That's what verse 7 means. One who has died has been set free from sin. Uh, for example, we'll visit with shut-ins who are very ill, 
Maybe their family has all died. They're alone most of the time. They're really looking forward to heaven because they know at the moment that they die, they will be freed from all the cares and concerns of this world. That's really good news for them. That's what has meant one who has died has been set free. And in regard to Christians, what we are set free from is from sin and its punishments. How so? Verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Probably the best example to remind you of that is someone who did die with Christ. He was a thief on the cross and asked Jesus to remember him. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, how is that possible if Jesus didn't rise from the dead for three days? Because Jesus was a human being. He's also God, no doubt about that. But as a human being, he died like human beings die. Where the body goes into the grave, but the spirit goes right to heaven. And that happened also to the thief on the cross. His body went into the grave or whatever happened to his body. And his spirit was with Jesus' spirit in heaven on that day. Today, you will be with me in paradise. So that's what that verse 8 is talking about. If we have died with Christ, and all of us have who have been baptized, because in baptism we're put on the cross and get the benefits of the cross, we believe that we also will live with him. We know, verse 9, that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. See, this is the difference between the Old Testament books, the ceremonial laws, where there were many deaths of animals. But the book of Hebrews, which is, by the way, the best book to understand why the ceremonial laws are no longer in place, because Jesus' death was a once-for-all-time death. Never again will he die. And therefore, death no longer has dominion over him. That's true now about you. Verse 10. For the death he died, that's the cross, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So that life he lives occurred, of course, with the resurrection and his ascension, where he is now at the right hand of God, ruling the entire world. And he's also your mediator. When you say prayers to God, Jesus is the mediator who takes those prayers to the Father, and they're perfect. With the help of the Holy Spirit, those prayers are rephrased in such a way that God always answers them to your good. Going on, verse 11. See, there's always a benefit 
to anything about Jesus. And the benefit is for you. It says, verse 11, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. But then comes the three big words, in Christ Jesus. Uh, the Good News magazine, which we talk about quite often here on Law and Gospel, uh, edited by Wallace Schultz, uh, has a whole issue about in Christ Jesus, how important that is. Because take yourself out of Christ Jesus, and you really don't have any of the benefits of his suffering, his death, the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension. But because you are in Christ Jesus, what does that mean? It means that you trust in Christ Jesus. And that trust, therefore, for some reason, God declares you to be righteous in his sight, in much the same way he did with Abraham. Remember, Abraham, your elderly wife is going to have a child who will be a blessing for many nations. Abraham believed, even though she was way past childbearing age, but he believed in the God who could do anything. He believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Note very well, it wasn't any obedience on his part. He didn't do anything to get righteous. He trusted the promises. That is the essence of the Reformation of the 16th century. That rather than trusting your works as a way of meriting your way into heaven, you trust the promises of God that are connected to the birth, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. And all those promises are benefits for you. Uh, that's why the editors of this particular Bible I'm looking at put at the top of this section. It's not part of the Bible, but it's what they summarize. You're dead to sin, but alive to God. See, prior to your having been forgiven your sins and wearing the robe of righteousness, you were dead to sin and to God. But now that God has purified you, he has cleansed you by that forgiveness of sins and by your wearing the robe of Christ's righteousness. You, therefore, are alive to God. And one of the things I try and mention again and again when I'm doing sermons is the purpose of a sermon is to get you to think like God because our old Adam wants to think the way we normally think. Well, baptism, water, how can that do anything? Well, it can't. Until God attaches to it promises from his word, such as, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. So this is a very important part of epiphany. 
because it shows how God transfers the benefits of Christ's incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, how those benefits are transferred to us. And they're transferred in what's called sacraments, the sacrament of holy baptism and also the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Because in that Lord's Supper, you receive the body given for you and the blood shed for you. This is a tremendous gift, which is the word we always like to use about Christianity. It's gift. All of Christianity is a gift that you don't work for, but you are given because you are favored by God. And we're going to talk about more how that favoring took place in tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, first time for 2019. We're going to be examining the hymn, To Jordan Came the Christ Our Lord. And in examining that hymn, we're going to learn the meaning of Jesus' baptism. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening to Law and Gospel. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.